okay? Tomorrow is my weigh-in day, and last night I broke down. And I went to my nephew, had a birthday party, and it was in Connecticut. We go there, and I did good all day. Like, they had cupcakes, an amazing birthday cake, and I resisted. I hit the veggie platter <laughs> without dressing, okay? Just raw veggies. I had, they had little sandwiches. I took the cheese off the sandwiches, people. Are you understanding me how good I did, Okay. <laughs> And I'm just like killing. I'm like, yes, oh, I'm doing so good. I'm counting all my points. We do Weight Watchers. Don't make fun of me, okay? When I have a six pack, we'll see who's laughing. And so, so what are you laughing about? That is possible. No, it is not. But so, man, I'm doing so good. My wife and I are like, yeah, yeah, we're doing this. And, and we, we get all the way to dinner, and our kids start. We're driving back from Connecticut. It's like two and a half hours. And, and our kids start creating some, some stress in our lives. They're kind of acting crazy. Charlie's, Charlie's crazy. They're hungry. They, you know, they didn't nap. They didn't sleep all night. So they're like super cranky. And, uh, and any emotional eaters in here? No? Okay. You're too emotional to admit it? Yeah, okay. A few, I'm an emotional eater. So if there's any time, you want me to get and break my diet, like make me really sad or depressed. And I'll be like, oh, screw it. Let's just have Ben and Jerry's. And so, so it, was like, it was like super stressful. We stopped for dinner. We even go to dinner and we did good. Like we had a salad and like we limited ourselves somewhat. And we're like, all right, we're good. And then I made the, the stupid promise to my kids that we would stop at Dunkin' Donuts. Okay? It was foolish of me. I went in with the intent of getting one large hot coffee black. And I left with 25 munchkins. All right, and so I'm driving back, and I was like, you know what? We'll just we'll just get up and run tomorrow. Didn't happen. We did not get up and run this morning, right? And I, so, so next thing I know, I'm driving, and I'm just like, I, I'm the type of person where if something's in front of me, I just can't. I just got to keep going. You know what I mean? Whether it's a drink or food, like I'm just going. So like half an hour later, we're just talking, and I reach in. I'm like, you ever reach into a Munchkin box and it's empty? I'm like, and, and all of a sudden I became immediately depressed for two reasons. Number one, the Munchkins were gone, which is my first reason for being depressed. But then the second reason I was like, oh my gosh, I finished 25 Munchkins like in a half an hour. Like this is insane, you know? And so um, food, food, is, food is a love for me. But I realized this about food, which is interesting, is so you ever had a food that you love, but if you add one thing to it, you end up hating it. Like one thing added to that can make, Namit knows this because um, he hates onions. I know, can you believe that? Let's all boo him and ostracize him for a few moments. Yes, feel free to shun him. In fact, one time we were ordering 200 sliders from White Castle for a Super Bowl party. He, I overheard him on the phone asking them to put no onions on any of them, 200 sliders. I'm like, dude, why are you ordering no onions? He's like, I don't like them. I'm like, the 200 sliders for everybody. We all like onions. Don't make us suffer because of your tastes. But I, I, this is true. Like, for me, it's mustard, okay? I hate mustard. I hate mustard. Okay, some fellow smart people in here. Yeah, any type of mustard is just gross, and it ruins, mustard ruins any good thing. It ruins it. But here's the thing about, here's the thing about, my hatred for mustard. My wife is convinced that I don't really hate it. I just haven't discovered it. Like, she's like, no, you just haven't tried it since you were a kid. I'm like, no, I have. I'm telling you, I don't like it. So she periodically tries to sneak it into things. 
in hopes that I will not, I will, I will say, oh, this is amazing. And she could be like, ha, there's mustard in that. I knew you liked it. And literally I catch her every time. Like, I'm like, is there mustard in this? She's like, crap. How did you know that? I'm like, cause this stinking tastes like mustard. That's mustard does that to everything. And so, so she, she, despite her efforts, I still hate mustard. I always will. And it's one of those ingredients to me, when you add it, it ruins everything. Yes. Tonight, uh, uh, as we kind of continue this Galatians series, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Paul. Well, Paul talks about the gospel and how Paul talks about how when we add something to the gospel, it ruins everything. So actually, the sermon tonight is called Jesus Plus Nothing. And we're going to look in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2. If you guys are with me, you got your Bibles or your smartphones or just your eyeballs, because we'll put it up on the screen for you lazy folk. Um, we're going to throw it up there. Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Actually, it's two things we're going to learn from this text today. And if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Galatians. Um, two things that we're going to see. Here's what Paul's telling us about the, the heart of Christianity is, number one, the danger of slavery. Number two, the price of freedom. Danger of slavery, price of freedom. Here's what it says. Galatians chapter 2. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running and had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Yet because of a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield into submission even for a moment, so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and for those who seem to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no, no partiality. Those... I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw me, that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this group. We thank you that even though, uh, even though it's kind of nasty weather today, there were some brave souls who really loved Jesus, who braved it and came out, and not like those who didn't come tonight. Uh, no, I'm sorry. But thank you for tonight. Thank you for this passage. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, you speak to our hearts, speak in spite of my weakness, and help us to love Jesus more and, um, and, and love each other more. In your name, amen. amen. Man, all right, so, so this passage is a pretty amazing passage. And, and the first thing we're going to look at in this passage is the danger of slavery. Paul, um, Paul comes in, and he is very nervous and very alarmed. And if you know the story of Paul, like he was a, his name was Saul, right? Persecuting Christians, killing them, imprisoning him. He believed that they were against everything that he was for. Um, raised as a zealous Jew, all about the law, and and here comes these Christianities, and they're kind of um, they're kind of a, a, a thorn in the side of Judaism, and so he's attacking them. He hasn't this encounter with Jesus that transforms his life, and he goes and he immediately changes his life. He begins to live for Christ. He begins to share the gospel, all of that, and so for 14 years he's doing that, 
And, and after 14 years in this passage, it talks about him going back to the leaders of the church, guys like Peter. And by the way, if you see the name Cephas, that's Peter. And, and these were apostles who were with Jesus. And so he goes back and meets with them. And he talks about in this text his, his first meeting with them. And he uses this language, how I had to make sure that what I was doing wasn't in vain. And here's why that's important, because we could read that and go, what, what does he mean? Does he mean like he didn't really believe the gospel? Like he had to check with them to make sure what he was doing was real? Like, hey, guys, did this really happen? No, no. What he was saying was he wanted to make sure that all of his work wasn't in vain because of what was happening in the church. And here, here's what was happening. There's a guy named Dick Lucas who's an old Scottish pastor. He preached on this text, and he said that this is the most important moment in the entire book of Galatians, and in fact, one of the most important moments in the early church. The early church in this moment that Paul's writing is on the verge of a monumental split, the very first church split. And you've got two sides, two parties. And one side is this people that, that taught Jesus plus the law. Right? And Paul talks about how they were, they were, they kind of snuck in to spy out their freedom in Christ. And they these were Jews who believed in Jesus, like they thought Jesus were the Messiah, but they also thought you had to follow the Levitical law. So in order to be saved, to be a Christian, you believe in Jesus and you follow the law. You're circumcised. And the law that they wanted people to follow was not the Ten Commandments, which are kind of moral laws. Those are good. Those are what we should live by. But the ceremonial laws, laws that were about being clean. And in in, in the Old Testament, you'll read all these kind of crazy laws, right, in the book of Exodus and Numbers and um, Leviticus. and, And they have to do with clean laws about what allows you to be in the presence of God. And it's all kinds of, like, you can't touch a dead animal. You can't have nocturnal emissions. Ladies, during that time of month, you can't go near God. Like, all kinds of random, random things that make you unclean. And when you're unclean, you have to give sacrifices to make you clean again. And it all had to do with the presence of God. And this was so elaborate that there was even sacrifice for anything that you missed, you know, and, and the, whole, the whole point was, in the Old Testament, the whole point of the Levitical law was to say, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. Like, no matter how hard you try, you are always unclean. You always, there's always a sacrifice to be made. And so these dudes believed in Jesus, but they added on, you also have to follow this law. And part of that was the, art, the act of circumcision. And so Paul comes in and he starts he starts fighting and pushing back against this. And he's, he's going, I hope that all that I've been preaching is not in vain and that Peter and the, the early church is moving in the direction of Jesus plus the law. Because Paul comes in and says, it's Jesus plus nothing. And he begins to talk about the danger of slavery. There's words, words that Paul uses in there. He talks about that they begin to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ. I love I love. Paul's comments about freedom. The very understanding of the gospel of Christianity is that it sets us free, right? And and, and this other group, their very understanding was they were trying to put people who had been set free back into bondage. They were saying, follow Jesus, but you also got to do this. And here's what's amazing about Paul. Paul understood something about about being Jewish. He understood that all the Levitical law was fulfilled in Christ. It all pointed to Christ. It pointed to our need for Christ, right? The reality of I got to sacrifice means I can't save myself. But he also knew the act of circumcision, which a lot of Jews were saying you have to be circumcised. For a Jew, that was the sign of the covenant, 
right? You guys remember way back in the story of Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he's like, hey, the people of Israel will be my people. I'll be their God. And uh, circumcision will be a sign of my promise to them. And the sign was a promise of what? It was a promise of God's grace. Like he said, I'm going to save you, not because you did anything good, not because you earned it, but because I've rescued you. I've set you free. And from now to this point forward, every, every male born into the nation of Israel will be circumcised. It was a sign of God's promise of what was to come. Here's what Paul understood. In Jesus, he fulfilled that promise, that covenant. And that's why Paul talks about this idea of the circumcision of our hearts, that no longer do our bodies have to be marked. No longer do we have to make a sacrifice because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. On the cross, he fulfilled what Leviticus, the Levitical law, the sacrificial laws point to. On the cross, he fulfilled what circumcision pointed to. And so now when our hearts are transformed, we put faith in Christ. All of that stuff is fulfilled. We now have freedom in a way that no other person had up until that moment. And Paul is going, wait, wait, if you add anything to the gospel, you immediately take us from being free and you put us back into slavery. And I think there's some, I was thinking about this today as I was, or not today, but this week as I was preparing for this message. And the heart of the gospel is freedom. There's some amazing things I was thinking about how the gospel sets us free. And the first one is, is freedom from death. Like if you think about it, everybody in this world fears death. It's this unending, unavoidable uh, consequence to the end of your life. And everyone's kind of worried about it. They're thinking about it. Like it's like what is going to happen, if anything. And, and, it, and it makes put so much pressure on the life you live now. Like, man, I just got to enjoy myself. And, and, and there's so much confusion and fear around it. When we lose people we love, there's so much hurt and pain that comes along with that. And then Paul goes and he talks about the idea that death has lost its sting, that in Christ, the freedom in Christ, it has given us freedom from death, that we now, as Namit shared earlier, we have this hope that this life is not the whole point, right? That God actually has a mission and a plan. He's bringing heaven to earth. He's, re he's remaking all things. So all the hurt, all the brokenness, all the lostness will be made whole and right. I know for my wife and I, man, and you guys know you've been following along this journey with us, like the stuff with her mother-in-law and, and cancer and her being in and out of the hospital. If, if, I, if I didn't have the hope of the gospel, like I can't imagine how people walk through this without it, right? The, the, looking at the suffering that she's going through and thinking, what's the point? Like, like if, if we're all just here for no reason, then all right, man, this stinks, you know? And, and, and the hope that we'll never see her again if she passes, like any loved one. But to be a Christian is to go, death stinks, like it sucks. It's not part of God's plan, but ultimately it's lost its sting in our lives because we have the hope of a future. We have a hope of an eternity where all wrongs have been made right. I think it also, the beautiful thing about it is it also makes our life have ultimate purpose, like, it's not the mentality of, oh, I can't wait to get out of this world. It's so bad. Like, this escapism, right? This escapism mentality. But it actually says that God has called us to be a part of bringing heaven to earth. So when we see wrong things, we are contributing to making them right. Like, when we see people hurting and broken, like, it's our words moved by the Holy Spirit to bring life to that person. We had a meeting earlier uh, about our Guatemala missions team meeting. We're taking like 19 of us to Guatemala in order to do that, to bring heaven to earth, to speak life into people. Like uh, life has new meaning because of the freedom in Christ. But freedom also, also brings us uh, freedom from an unsatisfied longing. Like how many people, I remember growing up and 
How many people just chase things like sex, right, to find longing? We were talking about this earlier, uh, about sexual ethics. And, and I, man, there's so many people, especially where you guys are at and your, your age and, and demographic and phase of life, that they just, they just put one hope into another of one person. Like, let me just hook up with this person. Or it's one sexual encounter after another, right? And here's what inevitably happens. It feels amazing. You have a great time. And then the next day, it's like, ah, oh, I feel just as empty and lonely. And so what do I do? I spend my entire life on this meaningless pursuit of never being satisfied, jumping from one unsatisfactory thing to another. I heard a great quote. They said, if God really wanted to torture people, he would give them their heart's greatest desire, and then they would see that it doesn't actually satisfy. And I was like, man, that's so true. Like most people in life, I'm convinced, spend their entire life chasing some idea that they think will make them whole, they think will satisfy them, and they never really get it, but they'll spend their idea because they always have the hope, well, if I get it, then I'll be happy. Man, the gospel sets us free from that. The gospel sets us free and goes, you actually have the thing that satisfies. So this life of constant disappointment, this life of constant chasing and never getting is over. It's, you're free from that. Man, I think it sets us free from guilt. so much of my early life with with Christianity was filled with guilt and shame. Like, I felt like I could never be in God's presence walking into into church or being around other Christians. I would just constantly be reminded of my sin, of the stuff I'd done, the the choices I made, how I messed up, right? And, And I actually was recently having a conversation with someone, a young adult, who was like, yeah, I've been kind of going crazy. I've been doing oh, all kinds of stuff. I've been wilding out. And, and I, I just don't want to, I don't want to come back to church. I don't want to come back to fusion. I don't want to be around people because they're going to. And it was ironic to me because I was like, man, here's the funny thing. Like God is supposed to be there for us when we are going through challenging times. But oftentimes because of how we think about God and how we feel, because of the judgment and the hurt and, and the shame in our life, he, we actually allow ourselves to be pushed away from God. Right? We're like, I'll come back when I clean myself up. Like when I get myself right, when I, when I kind of like uh, uh, that video watching earlier, Matt Chandler said, when I have a better future version of myself, then I'll come back to God. And it's ironic because, man, that's not even the gospel. Like the gospel frees us from that. The gospel says like there's no version of yourself that makes you worthy where God's like, okay, finally, now come in. Right? It actually sets us free to know that we can know who God is, that we can be loved by God despite what we do or struggle. We can come into his presence and know that two, two minutes ago or last night or this week, man, you've been struggling, but the love God has for you is no less. It's absolutely no less. Only Christianity sets you free from that burden, that, that, the, the overwhelming feeling of guilt and unworthiness. You know what else Christianity sets you free from? The gospel sets you free from insecurity. Set you free, man, from insecurity that I can't do this because I'm worthless, I'm trash. How many people, even in this room, we struggle with that feeling? I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't, I don't have it all together, I'm not a good enough speaker, I, 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 I'm awkward, I'm this. Like All of us in this room struggle with insecurity. The gospel sets us free from that. It tells us that the creator of the universe loves you more than anybody. Like, like all, No offense to any of us in here, but what we think about you doesn't really matter. The creator of the entire universe, the one who knows every detail of your heart, has said that you matter so much in an unexplainable amount. And so that truth, when it sinks into our heart, it actually lifts us. 
It lifts us out of insecurity, and it sets us free from that, unlike anything else can. Thank you, brother. But the other thing it sets us free from is self-righteousness. The gospel sets us free from self-righteous. Like, like as we're going about, like the opposite of insecurity is those who are self-righteous and they think like, man, I'm the, I'm the bomb. Like I did it. I had such a great week this week. I, I got up and prayed every day for five minutes. Like, wow, I am a spiritual giant. You know what I mean? And they're coming in. They're like, yo, bro, let me just give you some counseling. You know, come on over here. Like, you know, and uh, let me, let me just share with you what I've been doing. I mean, for the last three days, I've been pretty consistent. And we, we, man, we get this self-righteousness about the gospel frees us from that because it's like, hey, that's not what saved you. Like your bad behavior doesn't keep you from God. Your good behavior doesn't get you to God. So it, it, C.S. Lewis says the gospel, the gospel centers you. It doesn't allow you to get too high, think highly of yourself. It doesn't allow you to get too low and think low of yourself. It keeps you right in the center of where Christ wants you. That's the freedom that comes from the gospel. And lastly, it frees you from anxiety. It frees you from anxiety, which I know so many of us struggle with and deal with. Because it says you don't have to be in control. There's certain things that you think you need. You think you have to have all the answers and all the understanding. And you've got to have everything kind of in your hands and in control. And the gospel says, no, God is in control. He has freed you from that. On the cross, he declared his ultimate sovereignty in your life. And it can free you from needing to figure everything out and worry about all these, these details and just trust and rest as a child in God. The gospel is freedom. And Paul says, man, we better be careful not to add something to the gospel because the moment you do, the moment you say it's, God, it's Jesus plus this, you've enslaved people once again. Guys, here's what I believe. I really do believe this. As the church, as, as the young millennial generation, we have to fight to make sure it's the gospel plus nothing, Jesus plus nothing. That's your job. That's our job to go. It's all about Christ. It's all about him. That's what matters. It can't be anything else. And I think you guys are up for the task. I think we can do it. I think, I think God is doing some cool stuff in the church. But I just want to encourage you and challenge you as you encounter that in your life. Because here's the reality. Most people in America don't understand the gospel. Like most people, when they think about Christianity, they think about it in terms of behavior modification. They think of it in terms of earning God's love by behaving well. You know, if you ask most people, like, you think you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, why? I'm a pretty good person. Like, that's what they think. Even about Christianity, right, that's what they think. So our job is how do we present the truth? It's Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. And ultimately, that's what sets us free. Second thing is this, though, the cost of freedom. Now, here's where, here's where I want to just share a little bit of my concern with you guys for, for our generation. And yes, I'm going to include myself in your generation. Shut up, Joe. I am on the border of being a millennial, okay? Yes, I am. I am 1985. I believe the cutoff is 84, so thank you. No, you're wrong. All right. I'm sure you guys will Google that, so... Classic millennials. Here's my concern for, for your and my generation, okay? We love, we love the idea of freedom. Like the cultural narrative today is it's all about freedom. That's the whole point of life, right, is to be free. Freedom is do what you want to do. Don't have any limits or boundaries. As long as you don't infringe on someone else's freedom, then that's what life is about. And, and I was thinking about anybody love the movie Braveheart? Yeah. Okay. Braveheart, one of the greatest movies of all time, you know, right? He's like, freedom! 
Like that's, I feel like that's the cry of our generation. Like we just love it. Like, don't tell me what to do. You know what I mean? I'll be my own man. And, and, and I think honestly, some of the popularity of the reality of the gospel, that's Jesus plus nothing is because it kind of plays into the cultural narrative that we love today, which is like, oh yeah, like I don't have to do anything else. Like, like, you know, my parents, these older generations, like if you grew up in the church, you know, there's a lot of people that's like, it's Jesus, but you also have to wear this certain, like you got to dress a certain way, you know, and you also can't go to the movies. Like you also can't watch this or, or do that. Or like, there's always an addition. So we love the idea of like, yeah, no one can tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the gospel. It's just Jesus. And it it plays into, we get excited. We love it. But I think here's, here's part of the problem. There's a big issue, which is the cultural idea of freedom is that, that freedom is the lack of boundaries. And I think that's wrong. Freedom is not the lack of boundaries. It's the implementation of proper boundaries. And here's what I mean. Anybody, uh, anybody like an athlete in here or did sports or music or, okay, not a single hand except for a couple here. There we go. Oh, oh, a couple in the back. All right. Anybody done anything that requires any sort of practice to be good at it? I hope you raise your hand. Yes. Even eating, believe it or not. And I've seen some of you eat. You are poor. You need more practice. Um, but man, if you do something, here, here's why this is true. Here's why f- freedom being the, the lack of boundaries does not make sense. Because actually, here's, here's what's real. When you put proper boundaries in your life, it opens up levels of freedom that were impossible had you not put those boundaries in. And I used, to, when I grew up, I wrestled, okay? Which I know is not like a super cool sport. Like, hey, you wrestled, bro? Like, Yes. And, uh, and so, but you know, that's what I did. Um, and so I, the thing about wrestling that was the worst part about it is there's like, there's also this element of you have to make weight. You got to be in a certain weight class. So the goal for wrestling is you want to be at the highest weight possible in the lowest class possible. Okay. So what I mean is like, let's say, like, I remember my freshman year, I weigh, I weighed in at 190 pounds my freshman year. How dare you? How dare you? I'm sorry. That was not my freshman year. That was my sophomore year, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I, so I had to get down to the one, there's a weight class of 171, okay? So I had to lose. I want to be just on the verge at the highest end of the lowest class I could get down to. And so you would cut weight. You have to lose weight. And here's the thing. In order to be good at wrestling, you have to do that. You have to be the highest weight in the lowest class possible, which means you got to put boundaries, right? Like instead of going and hanging out with your friends who are having burgers and fries, like you have to only eat certain things. You, you got to put boundaries. You also have to put boundaries in life as far as if I want to get better, I got to practice. So instead of going out and hanging with my friends, I had to be practicing. I had to be running. I had to be wrestling. I had to be doing stairs and push-ups and all this kind of stuff, like the implementation of proper boundaries. But when I did those things, it actually freed me by making weight, by being the best. It freed me to win matches. It freed me to go to tournaments and be, be potentially the champion, right? That wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't put proper boundaries. So freedom actually gets extended when there's proper boundaries. Same thing as with music. Like if you, if you are like, I'm free not to practice. Yes, you are free. But if you don't put boundaries in your life, you will never be great. And when you do, like when you say, okay, instead of going out and hanging out, like I'm going to stay home and practice. All of a sudden, actually what happens is you begin to get greater levels of opportunity because you limited your freedom. So now you're getting invited to play on bigger stages in front of more people in front of a bigger audience, right? Why? 
because you put proper boundaries. You actually limited your freedom, and limiting your freedom opened up a greater level of freedom. This is true in life. Freedom is not the absence of boundaries. It's the implementation of proper ones. And if I brought a wood chipper in here right now, and I was like, hey, guys, just a heads up. Like, this is a wood chipper. Don't put your arm in here. And Orion was like, I'm free to do what I want, and just shoves his arm in the wood chipper, right? Like, technically, yes, Orion, you're right. You're free to shove your arm in a wood chipper. But now you have limited your future freedom because now you can't throw a baseball with that arm or write with that arm or pretty much do anything with that arm because it's now in chips on the wall. And that's a gross picture. You see what I'm saying? Freedom is not the ability to have no boundaries in life. It's the implementation of proper boundaries. And so here's why that's important when it comes to Christianity. Because I, I, sometimes I wonder, like, if, if we don't actually love Jesus, but we love what Jesus did because we think it gives us access to more freedom. And here's what, here's what I mean. Like, when I first started to understand the gospel, I got super excited because I grew up in, in a legalistic culture. Yeah. Joe, you're there too? Okay, I'm sure a few of you are there, right? You grew up in legalism where everyone's like, this is what it looks, this is what you have to do. And so we start to hear the gospel. You're like, oh, that's amazing. Like, what a great concept. What a great idea. But you know what the temptation is? You don't actually love Jesus. You just love a greater level of freedom in your life. You love the fact that now you cannot feel as guilty about doing the things that you want to do. And that makes you excited. It's like someone in Monopoly, like you having a get out of jail free card and landing in jail. Being like, booyah, I don't got to roll three times. Like, that's what we sometimes love. And I think for our generation, the potential is that we don't actually love Jesus. We love the access to freedom that he gives us. And we're like, yes, that means I can go party and do what I want and not feel as guilty because I'm like, well, I'm covered in the blood. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and we just, we just say that to ourselves, like, oh, that's all right. Like, I don't really have to, I don't really have to read my Bible. Cause let's be honest, like that's legalistic. Like I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? And, and I know for me, like, that's where my heart was. Like people were like, Hey, have you been doing your devotions? Like, bro, don't bring that legalism at me. Like God, Jesus died on the cross. So I didn't have to do devotions. You should know that. <clears throat> Man, there's a potential. We can love, we can love the freedom we think Christ bought but not actually love Christ. And, and we're, we're going we're gonna to come to a close here, but I just want to remind you this, that Christianity, actually, Anthony, if you want to come up and, and play something in the background, it's just to make me sound spiritual and bring a level of the Holy Spirit here. Um, that's a joke. Holy, <laughs> Holy Spirit doesn't show up through music. Wow. Yeah. Let's move on. I think that the heart of Christianity is love, is sacrificial love. And here's the interesting thing about love. Do you realize that love is the greatest killer of freedom? You realize that? Love is the greatest killer of freedom. Here's what I mean. Like, you can't be in a, in a deep, authentic, loving relationship without sacrificing your freedom. You can't. I remember when I first got married, I was 20 years old. I was an idiot. And if you're 20, I'm sorry, don't be offended, but when you're 30, you'll think you were an idiot when you were 20. It's just the way life works. And I, and I was super selfish. Like, and, and I remember um, I, before, before I got married, like my life was about sports and hanging out with friends. And I got married and I was like, well, nothing's going to change. Like I'm a free man. So, you know, so I'm like running around. And I remember like going out and playing soccer and hanging out with my friends. And my wife would be like, 
get upset when I, when I wouldn't tell her where I was, like, or even ask her. And I remember the, the first moment this happened, the reality set in of like, wow, I'm actually accountable to somebody now, right? Like in order to make this relationship work, I have to sacrifice certain things. If I'm going to have genuine love with her, I got to sacrifice. Like if you want to have a genuine loving relationship with your spouse one day, guess what? You sacrifice your freedom to sleep with other people. Like that's part of it. You know what I mean? You're not like, hey, honey, I'm just going to spend the night at Cindy's house this week. Like, I'm sure that's cool. I just want you to know that I love you. It's only you, girl, only you. No, no, no. You sacrifice your freedom to have a greater level of love. Love is the greatest killer of freedom. You, in fact, will, you, in fact, in order to have a great relationship, will continually sacrifice deeper and deeper levels of your personal freedom. And in turn, you actually find a new freedom relationally with that person. But you'll never get there unless you're willing to sacrifice personal freedom. Do you realize that on the cross, here's the gospel, on the cross, Jesus sacrificed the greatest level of personal freedom motivated out of his love for us. He gave up what is beyond what any of us would ever or could ever give up. He gave up everything, all that he deserved, and he sacrificed it and laid it down for a people who didn't love him, who didn't serve him, who didn't go after him. Yet because he loved us, he gave up all the freedom that he had, and he submitted himself to death on a cross so that we could be free in him. He's the ultimate demonstration of sacrificial love, which means, man, Christianity is transformed because we're now free but we're actually also called to love because of the freedom. And so as we love, we go into a deeper level of sacrifice. It doesn't mean we go to a deeper level of self-serving freedom. It means actually the more we love Jesus, the more we desire to sacrifice more. The more we desire to give up more of our freedoms. And so, man, I wonder, like, I wonder how many of us, that's the reality of our life. How many of us are sitting down and going, Man, I just, there's some other stuff I need to give up for Jesus. Not because that's what saves me, but because I love him. Like, because I'm thankful for him. I don't need to do this. I don't need to pursue this. Like, this doesn't bring joy to his heart. And to the level that we love him, I think that that level of gratitude and sacrifice will manifest in, in our hearts. And you know what's amazing about this? You know what's amazing about obedience? The reality the reality that what we give stuff up for Christ, like when we submit our, our sexuality to him, when we submit our finances to him, do we submit our future to him? When we, we look and go, man, I know this is how he's called me to live. It actually is the best thing for us. Like it's not just sacrificing stuff that's going to hurt us. It actually helps us in the long run. If we actually submitted our life to the way he called us to, we would look back and go, oh, wow, that actually, that actually was a lot better. Like, like, oh, he told me not to put my hand in the wood chipper, and I didn't. And it actually is amazing. Like, that's what obedience to Christ is. So, man, I, I just want to, I wonder tonight, guys, that's my challenge for us. As we're reading through this book of Galatians, and, and Paul's talking about the reality of the gospel. And he's saying, do you realize that there is a danger of slavery? If we, if we add anything to Jesus, we are enslaving ourselves. But there's also a danger of not understanding the price of freedom. That in order to love Jesus, in order to understand the freedom he's given us, it should ultimately move our hearts to a greater level of sacrifice. And here's what I wonder. Maybe, would you guys mind if, if you're comfortable just to close your eyes for a moment? Because I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question to think about. 
if in your life right now, if you're being honest with yourself and you're, you're asking the question, how much can I do? How much can I, can I do and still, and still make it to heaven? Right? Like, like, what can I get away with? How much can I do with my boyfriend or girlfriend? How much can I, can I do in my life and still make it to heaven? Like, if we're asking that question, let's be honest. Like, a lot of us think that. Like, well, is this really that bad? Like, is this going to affect my... Here's the reality of what's happening in our hearts in those moments. We don't love Jesus. We love the freedom he bought us. And I wonder tonight if there's some of us in this room that that's the reality of our hearts. We love the fact that he's a get-out-of-jail-free card, but we don't love him. The sign of genuine, deep love is a willingness to sacrifice more and more and more of yourself for the person who you love. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you? Because if you don't tonight, like if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, would you look to the level of sacrifice that he gave for you? For you, not for anybody else, for you. Did you look to that level of sacrifice and understand that's the level of love he has for you? And I hope tonight that that melts your heart. Like, I hope in some way, and as other people in your life show you love, and someone does something nice for you, or buys you something super expensive, or writes an amazing letter to you, or speaks words of encouragement, as those things move your heart and, and melt you and make you feel great. Like, do you realize how those things are nothing compared to the work of Christ on the cross? And does his sacrifice for you? you does that move you does that melt your heart because if it does if it does I wonder man what what are we sacrificing for him what things are we giving up what things are we going Christ I just want to please you because I love you I just want to honor you in my life because I love you. I want to know you more. Like maybe instead of instead of sleeping in, like I'm going to start getting up more and spending time with you. Maybe instead of watching that stuff that, that maybe I, I know probably is consuming too much time, like I'm just going to spend more time with you, right? Maybe instead of doing some of this stuff or engaging in certain things, I know I shouldn't. Like I just want to sacrifice. Not because somehow that's going to make me more worthy of your love, but because I love you, I want to lay this down for you. Man, the question tonight is, what are, this, what are those things in your life? What is that stuff? What's the level of sacrifice that Jesus is motivating our hearts to? And I know, man, for myself, I've got so many things. Jesus, help me to love you more. The answer is not to be filled with fear, guilt, and shame, but the answer is to fall more in love with Jesus. He sacrificed everything for you. Tonight, Let's sacrifice some things for him. God, we love you. We thank you. I pray for every person in this room. I pray that as we understand the gospel, as we understand the, the heart, the freedom that is in Christianity, God, that we would be so moved by the fact that you've set us free from the pursuit of stuff that doesn't matter. You set us free from this need to try to save ourselves. God, that you have given us what we couldn't find anywhere else. And I pray that our love for you, the reality of how much you love us, would move our hearts to say, I want to live for you, Jesus. And maybe there's some stuff that we need to lay down and sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing a song as we close.